Okay, today is the uh, last time we're going to be in this passage, 2 Corinthians 3, 7 to 11. Um, most of the stuff that God created on the earth doesn't really last. Most things rot or rust or get eroded or dissolve or in some way break down. But God has made a few earthly things which do last. <clears throat> like most precious stones and most precious metals. Like gold and diamonds. It's not only their beauty, you see, that makes them valuable. It's also the fact that they are permanent, that they have durability. Well, the same thing holds true in many things that God made that aren't material. Some of them are designed to be temporary. Some of them are designed to be permanent. In this section of 2 Corinthians 3, Paul has been contrasting the fading, temporary, old covenant, which God made with Israel through Moses, with the permanent new covenant that God made with Christ. So today's sermon is called Made to Fade. Our passage, 7 to 11, 2 Corinthians 3. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. You see, as I read, we, we've gone through different themes. And today we're focusing on the theme that the old covenant God made with Israel was a temporary measure. It was made to fade. We see this in verse 7, where he refers to the old covenant as the ministry of death and its glory was being brought to an end. We see it in verse 10. <clears throat> Indeed, in this case, what once had glory, the old covenant, had come to, has come to have no glory at all because of the glories that surpasses it. So you see it fades. Then in verse 11. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. So in all three verses, we can see this idea that it's coming to an end. The old covenant was made to fade. You know, when a couple has a baby, they get all sorts of baby equipment. Car seats, strollers, 
carriers, cribs, diapers, wipes, lots and lots of wipes, baby bottles, baby spoons, and on and on. But however long it lasts, when that little child season of their lives comes to an end, they get rid of that stuff. They put it on Craigslist or give it to somebody else who needs it or maybe throw it away because it's expired now and it's, it's usefulness. It's not made to be a permanent part of life. In a similar way, Paul is saying here that there's a time for the old covenant things to be set aside. They were created only for a season. They're not only inferior to the new, but they've passed their due date. They weren't ever meant to last forever. There are two other passages which talk about this. Galatians, there are many others, but Galatians 4 and Colossians 2. I'm going to just um, make a few statements here and incorporate phrases from both of those to describe what I'm saying. In these passages, Galatians 4 and Colossians 2, Paul talks about how we died with Christ to this old covenant which was destined to perish with use. And that God gave this old setup to his people in their historical childhood until the date set by the Father. And while we were children, while we were in this infantile state, we were held in bondage under this old way of thinking. But when the fullness of time came... God sent forth his son so we might be free from these childish, slavish things and ways. There's a time to give up baby food and binkies and blankies. There's a time to stop sucking your thumb and to stop riding in a stroller. There's a time to move past parent-enforced bedtimes. Now, sometimes children don't like it when these things are taken away from them. And they fight and protest and they think that their parents are being so mean to take this stuff away that's important to them. But it's not unloving for parents to start taking these things away. They understand that the children are growing up and it's time to put away those things of childhood and move on to later stages of life. And in the same way, God wanted the Jews to give up on these old covenant things, not for his sake, but for their sake. But it was hard for some first century Jews to let go of the past and embrace the new things of Christ. They had an aversion to these changes. And Jesus knew this would happen. He predicted it in Luke 5, 37 to 38. He said, 
no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. New wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And this is why Paul contrasts the Old Covenant with the New Covenant here in 2 Corinthians 3. It's because, of as we've said, Paul's opponents in Corinth, as it turns out, were Judaizers. That is, instead of accepting Jesus as Lord and the initiator of, of the promised New Covenant, they tried to fit Jesus into the context of the Old Covenant which, with which they were comfortable. The time of the New Testament, as we're reading from the, from the time Jesus arrived on the scene to the death of the apostles, this time was the time of transition from the old to the new. It was time to give up on the old, to let go of the old, and to embrace the new. But as you and I know, change is often hard for people, for us. And the only Jews who could accept the new were those who had been so gripped by Christ that they were happy to let him do whatever he wanted. They understood that he was Lord of the Sabbath. So he could change it if he willed. He was Lord of the law even. Lord of the covenants because he was Lord of all. But those who were just willing to make a few adjustments, a few minor little changes in their lives and in their thinking. They couldn't accept all the changes that the apostles testified that Jesus came to make. Why was it so hard for them to let go? Why were these Christian Jews clinging to the old covenant? Well, because they love their circumcision and their food laws and their temple, and their priests, and their sacrifices. They love their festivals, and their ceremonies. They love their Jewish exclusiveness. They liked the idea of adding a Messiah to the picture, because they'd always wanted that. And it helped them to improve their Judaism a little bit. But the fact is, they loved their Judaism. They loved their religion. But they didn't really love God. They loved their religion. But they didn't really love God. That's why so many of the prophets said that God hated the sacrifices of his people and the festivals and the gatherings of his people because they had fallen in love they still they loved their religion but they didn't love God anymore and there are three reasons why it's so important for us to talk about this the first reason is because today there are many people who love Christianity but don't love Christ. Do you know it's just as possible for us to love Christianity 
and not love Christ as it was for them to love Judaism and not love God. People love the gathering and the singing and the fellowship and the sacraments. They love the church buildings. They love the doctrine. They love the majesty of the scripture. They love the liturgy. They love the assurance and the positivity. The uplift that they feel when they come to church. But they don't actually in their heart of hearts love Christ. The second reason why it's important for us to talk about this is because today there are many people whose Christianity is a Christianity of minor adjustments. It's a Christianity which fits into their little political boxes or philosophical boxes or moral boxes. It's normal human life with Christian flavoring. It's worldly thinking clothed, cloaked in Christian language. It's making Jesus the champion of my little cause or my little ambition. It's not a Christianity that bows down to Jesus and says, You are my Lord. I am your servant. May it be to me as you say. But thirdly, it's more than just those two. It's also because there's a part of us which resists the way of Christ in our flesh. We prefer the old covenant religion, even Gentiles, even as Gentiles. After talking about how the new won't fit into the the new wine won't fit into the old wineskins in Luke chapter 5 Jesus adds one more thing he says in 539 and no it's a very strange statement got to really think about it to see what he's saying and it's still shocking and no one after drinking old wine desires new He's explaining why the Pharisees are having so many problems with the things he's saying. No one after drinking old wine desires new. For he says, the old is good. The old is good. I like the old. I prefer the old. And they don't want to be a part of the new. That's remarkable. Jesus brings the new. Jesus is the new. But there's something in us that prefers the old. There's a gravitational pull to go back to old ways of thinking. And there are numerous references to this in the New Testament. This tendency to go back. Think about Peter. When he was, um, you know, asleep and had that dream. And all God had to do how to, to convince him to go to Cornelius' house. How hard it was. How much he was programmed to go this way. And Jesus had to steer him. And, and turn him around. It was like turning an ocean liner around. That's Acts 10. And then um, in Galatians 4 and Colossians 2. The, the passages I just quoted from a little bit ago. It talks about these elementary principles that we're supposed to leave. 
these elementary ways of thinking about the universe and thinking about God that we're supposed to leave. But there's a struggle in these passages. He's telling them, get away from those. Let go of them. Don't give in to them. Because of this tendency to hold on to them. In Romans 8.15, Paul exhorts us, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Why would anyone fall, want to fall back into fear? But there's something inside of us that does. And that's why he's exhorting them, don't do that. Don't fall back into slavery and fear. In Galatians 5.1, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Don't go back to that. And he's not talking here about going back to sin. He's talking here about going back to old religion. If you read it in the context of the book of Galatians, it's very clear. The whole book of Hebrews is about the tendency and danger of going back. And Romans 11, verses 18 to 20, actually talk about this for Gentiles. You know, that, that it's a, it becomes a temptation for Gentiles to follow in the same paths to, you know there were, there were Pharisees and then there were Christian Pharisees who we call Judaizers and then there are Gentile Christian Pharisees and that it's, it, we're all susceptible to it, it's not just the Jews so what's so desirable about the old? Why in the world would someone prefer the old to the new? Well, first of all, it's familiar. It's comfortable. It's not scary. And we, get, we are comfortable with what we know. We get attached to it like an old friend. And uh, you can talk to many who are involved in, in our society and in, in legal ways and they will tell you that there are many women for instance who it's almost impossible to get them to leave their husbands who are regularly beating them it just doesn't make sense but it's hard for them because they, they don't know where else to go it's what they're used to it's also easier to understand it is just like Elementary school math is a lot easier to understand than high school math. It's easier to understand, and so it is. The old covenant is easier to understand than the new. The, 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 uh, the old is more for children, and the new for adults. That is, spiritual children and spiritual adults. Also, it's easier to have someone tell you what to do than to decide for yourself. You know, the new covenant, we're left guided by the, the Lord and his word to make hard decisions and hard choices. You've probably heard the story of the mom who was trying to get her son up for church on a Sunday morning. And she called up the stairs and called him again and called him again and she just heard a moan. But she finally stomped up the stairs and opened his door and said, Son, you've got to get up for church. And he said, give me two reasons why i got to get up for church. And she said, okay. The first is you're 35 years old, and the second is you're the pastor. 
You see, we, we're supposed to go past the things of, you know, we're, we're not... It is easier, yes, to have mom wake you up every morning. It is easier to have everything told and fed to you, but that's not the way it is anymore. And so many prefer the old. But it's also, in many ways, more natural. The Old Testament ways, or the Old Covenant ways, were more adapted to man's nature. These elementary principles, more according to what man was familiar with, what man can see, what he can feel with his hands, and what's more gratifying to his flesh. Whereas the New Covenant is more dependent on the Spirit, more dependent on things that we can't see, and we're told that the things we can't see are more real than the things that we can see. And that makes us nervous. It's hard to walk by faith. It's hard to walk by on basis of things you can't see. But of course, just because something is natural doesn't mean it's right. Doesn't mean it's good. For all these reasons, and probably many more, there's a part of us which tends to cling to old covenant ways. But God doesn't require us to let go of the old just because he wants to be in charge. He does it because he loves us and because the new things he brings are far superior to the old things in our lives. And he wants us to have the better things instead of the inferior things. Because he wants us to live in sonship, not in slavery. He has made something vastly superior to the old covenant. And it's infantile to prefer the old. He didn't come to leave us where we already were. He didn't save us so that we could stay the same. He didn't even come just to help us take a little step in the right direction. He came to bestow upon us the greatest treasure that there ever was. When I can't remember which child this was. Mary, maybe Marianne can fill in the details. But we once, uh, you know, we had a habit as our children were growing up that on their birthday they could choose what they had, what we had for dinner. We would make whatever um, they chose. And so one day we asked, she asked uh, with this particular child what he wanted for dinner on his birthday, and he said macaroni and cheese. Well, you know. That just didn't seem very special for a child's birthday. So Marianne decided, okay, well, I'll do the best macaroni and cheese I can. And so she looked up a recipe. She got different kinds of cheeses. She boiled fancy macaroni, and she made this nice macaroni and cheese. And the kid is like, no, I wanted macaroni and cheese. Because, <laughs> of course, it was unrecognizable from the cheap $1 box macaroni and cheese that they were used to. And they actually didn't like it, didn't want it. But, you know, it, that's the way it is. It's like you're trained to love this cheap, nothing stuff. And you don't have any ability to appreciate the, the rich, superior stuff. But that's what Jesus has brought us and called us. Not to treasure the old 
to let go of the old and treasure Christ's new life and new covenant. For if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature, new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So I began by saying that there are two kinds of things on the earth. And the fading things and the unfading things. And so it is in eternity, eternal perspective as well. There are fading things and, and that must be distinguished from unfading things. You know, our bodies are fading. How many people here have learned firsthand that your body is fading? Yes, I see those hands. Yes, many of them. Yeah, I should certainly put up a couple of hands for that one. Our clothing fades. You, remember, you know, you go out and buy a new shirt or a new coat or a new dress. And then, you know, a few years later, it's like, ooh, get rid of this thing. It becomes nothing to you anymore. Um, even our loved ones fade. And uh, sometimes it's so sad. You know, this last year we've had, I think, five... Uh, people in the congregation lost their fathers and having their first Father's Day today without their father. And, um, and you know, but that is another thing that fades, our loved ones. That doesn't stay forever. And buildings fade. And nations fade. And churches fade. And denominations fade. And movements fade. And leaders and teachers fade. But there are unfading things as well. The gospel of our salvation doesn't fade. It is perpetually new. It is the new wine that is always new. That can't fit into the old wineskins. And the Lord himself doesn't fade. But he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13.8 And the problem is, beloved, that we get attached to fading things. We keep thinking that the fading things are going to be permanent and they're not. And it's hard for us to let them go. But when you take hold of Jesus, whom you never need to let go of, you need to let go of everything else. Everything else. You know, there's an old movie um, about Abraham. It was the one that George C. Scott played Abraham. Some of you probably have seen it. And he's offering his son Isaac on the altar in that scene up on Mount Moriah, you know. And uh, God tells him to, to offer his son and he lifts up the... He, he's preparing his son for this offering. And, uh, you know, he makes the thing and then he puts the sticks on and then he picks up his son and lays him on top. And in this movie, obviously this isn't actually in the Bible, but people who wrote this got something about the way about the truth of the story the son looks up at his father and he says in King James English 
Is there nothing the Lord might not requireth of thee? Is there nothing the Lord might not requireth of thee? And his father says, nothing. But then, of course, you know, God intervenes and he doesn't slay his son. But that's true. There is nothing of the fading things on earth. There is nothing that God might not require of you. But he will never take himself away from you. Jesus said this, If any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's Luke 14, 33. But we cling to something that does not fade. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. Kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let us pray. Oh Lord, there are many precious things that we have and that we love and we thank you for them. But we know, dear Lord, that everything we have apart from you everything is fading everything has an expiration date and we pray O oh Lord that you would help us to realize that the only thing we can cling to we can't cling to this church, we can't cling to our friends, we can't cling to our families. The only thing we can cling to is you. And we thank you, Lord, that you are preparing for a day when those who put their trust in you will receive the fullness of that inheritance, which is ours, but still awaiting us in heaven. Help us, O oh Lord, to build our house upon the rock, the unshakable rock. Thank you now for the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And we pray, O oh Lord, that as we come to the table and partake of that which symbolizes Jesus that we would open our hearts as well as our mouths to receive him we pray in his name amen